0: So go ahead and grab your Bibles uh, with me if you will. We're looking at page 810 in the uh, church Bibles and uh, this morning we're diving right into the book of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel in Chapter Five. It's on page eight hundred and ten in the Church Bibles. Matthew's Gospel and uh, Chapter Five. Let me just give you a little bit of context. So Matthew's Gospel, of course, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the King. The Kingship of Jesus is important to Matthew's Gospel. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, he talks about the uh, Emmanuel. Jesus shall be called Emmanuel. That is God with us. And this idea of God being with us is central to the Book of Matthew. And he concludes that as well. The end of Matthew's Gospel, the Great Commission. Jesus sends out the disciples and he commissions them to his work and he says I'll be with you Surely to the end of the age. This idea of God's presence with us is key to Matthew. And then in between those sort of bookends to Matthew's Gospel, there are five sections of teaching which are almost certainly meant to mirror the five books of Moses, the Torah. So what Matthew is saying is the king is Jesus, and the greater prophet who is to come is Jesus. And the one that Moses was pointing to is Jesus. And now we come to Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 5, which of course is the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus goes to the mountain like Moses but so much more. He's not merely receiving the law, he's giving the law. He is the lawgiver, he is the gospel uh, proclaimer, he is Christ the King. And so we come now to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 to 16. "'You are the salt of the earth, but as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored?' and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's Word. Amen. You may go ahead and grab a seat. So the title I've given for the sermon this morning is The State of the Vision. Where are we? And where are we going? And all of that is quite carefully designed. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be walking you through in a special way, a one-off sermon this morning, the vision, the plan that the elders and pastors have adopted that runs from 2018 through to 2020. And so we're kind of in the middle of that plan. And I want to update us all as a church family. Now we're in kind of summer mode. I want to update us all on where that plan is, what we've done, and where we're going. Now, that's titled The State of the Vision, obviously playing off the State of the Union, but The State of the Vision, and where are we and where we're going. All that title is quite carefully worded. What I don't want to do is to give you an impression that suddenly, you know, Pastor Josh has a vision. You know, Pastor Josh has come up with something that seems so, you know, impossible. And uh, out, of, out of any likelihood of ever being achieved, I, I don't know about you, but I can sometimes listen to vision talks and think it's just unrealistic. It's never going to happen. It's just been made up to try and excite people, but it's not real. I don't want to do that. It reminds me a little bit of the story of Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker, uh, one of the great management uh, leaders in American business life, of course. Uh, Peter Drucker was one time being uh, on a panel And uh, the the subject under discussion was whether the great American novel was going to die. It was a topic at the time, is the great American novel going to die? And Peter Drucker was asked this question, do you think the great American novel is going to die? And Peter Drucker's response was, as long as resumes are being written, the great American novel will never die. And uh, I feel a little bit the same about some visions. You know, as long as preachers get up there and share their vision, the great American novel will never die. So I don't want it to be unrealistic. It is part of a plan that we've adopted in 2018. We're halfway through. We've got another year and a half to go. Where are we? Where are we going? I want it to be realistic. On the other hand... By the very nature, and this is going to be relevant for you whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're an older person, a member, whether you're a young person, a teenager, a student, this is going to be relevant for you because on the other hand, the very nature of who God is and what his gospel is and his hope for the world means that those of you who put your trust in Jesus this morning and recommit or commit their lives to Jesus are going to be part of a great movement of hope because we who believe in Jesus know how the story of history ends. He's coming back and therefore while we may look around at the world and society and say to ourselves things are not as good as we wish they were and you know we we resonate what the Apostle Paul said that in the last days there'll be terrible times and we can see all that. On the other hand because we believe in Jesus and he is the king we know that the end of the story is good and we're part of that movement and his kingdom is going to keep on growing as he promised even as things are going to keep on getting worse at the same time. The light is going to shine brighter even even as it is increasingly against a backcloth of darkness and evil. And so it is, on the other hand, why I want to be realistic. I also want to be inspiring and give you hope and joy and excitement of what God is doing and what, if we trust him, he can and will do through us, I believe. So the sermon is going to be structured simply around these three words. You, salt, and light. You, salt, and light. And lights. First of all, you. Obviously, Jesus here is addressing you. He uses that word you quite frequently. You are this, you are that, don't do this, do do this, you. But who is the you that he is describing? Well, to answer that, we've got to understand some of the context in the Sermon on the Mount. So this comes right after what the famous Beatitudes. Beatitudes just simply means blessed statements and Jesus in a series of blessed statements describes they, blessed are they who do this, blessed are they who do that and then he turns to look at these disciples who are gathered around him on the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at them and says, blessed are you, I'm talking about you, you are the recipients of this blessing. And in, in the Beatitudes, it's a blessing of the kingdom. The Beatitudes begin with the kingdom of heaven, they end with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is just Matthew's way of describing the kingdom of God because Matthew's gospel is written primarily or particularly with the Jewish mindset in view. They didn't want to use the word God, so they use heaven instead. So the kingdom of God, that is where, or the kingdom of heaven, that is where the king rules, King Jesus rules as he delivers this message, this one greater than Moses delivers this message, and he says, the way into the kingdom is poverty of spirit that is to enter the kingdom at all at all you've got to say Lord I'm so sorry I'm not spiritual I'm wicked I'm a sinner save me and if you this morning say that then you'll be saved you'll enter the kingdom of heaven that's the first part of of the beatitudes that may be the most important part of the message for you the poverty of spirit Lord I need help help me and then you'll receive the blessing of the king It can be for you. And then the second half of the Beatitudes, he describes what these people then are like. They're merciful. They're peacemakers. That's what they are like. And then Jesus turns to this small group of disciples gathered around him and says, It's you. It's you. Of course, it's meant to be so encouraging. You know, I find these days that Christians in America can go around looking a little defeated. It's like things are bad, and they're only going to get worse, but I believe in Jesus, I guess, a little bit, maybe, on a good day. But no, you are the sword of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's meant to be encouraging, look, with so much, so much to be encouraged by. In this uh, three year plan, there are several initiatives that we've been working on, and we've made good progress. One of them is that we'll be always committed to the Bible and prayer. And of course, we're committed to that from the pulpit, but also in Sunday school, and in children's ministries, and in small groups, and prayer, not only Monday morning and Wednesday night, but we've had these new all-church prayer meetings on Sunday evening, which have been just occasions filled with the Spirit and the glory of God, and they've been exciting, and, and there's this new commitment to prayer, and that's, that's, that's you. That's great, be encouraged. And in this initiative, we've also had an initiative that's built around women's ministries. It's a great strength for the church, but we want to build on that and emphasize that. So in the last year, we've called the first ever director of women's ministries for Cottage Church. And that ministry is just going from strength to strength. Several women have come to faith, I'm told, this year. And it's exciting. And, and yet that's not, not not enough we need to so you're all aware that in this day and age there's huge conversation the me too era huge conversation about how women are being treated and we want my heart is i want this church to be the kind of place where men and women thrive and so we're in the, in the process of putting together a really um, well thought through, coherent ministry philosophy paper just around the the women with all our biblical commitments in place. But the way that women will thrive, men and women will thrive in this place. Keep on thriving. I want us to be known as a church that is about Jesus and the way that Jesus treated women. And you you go, this is the kind of place that I, oh, woman, I can be at home. I can be loved. There's nothing weird that's going to happen. It's it's a safe place. It's a Godly place, and we, we 're emphasizing that we 've made a lot of progress we 've still got some way to go. Another th- initiative that we 've had there is around our pastoral residency program for those of you don 't know we 've got this program to train up the next generation of pastors and preachers and in the past uh, previously we 've had two uh, pastoral residences. Each, each year but last year we, hired, we've, we have an initiative to increase that so last year we hired three and then this year we're going to hire two and so we to a total of five because you know I want you to see the snapshot this picture I was at a conference just a few weeks a few weeks maybe a month or so ago and I was just hanging out with former pastor, residents and pastors at Cottage Church and it was for me an amazing picture of all these thriving ministries that we have birthed that you you have birthed. Now all around the nation and around the world. And so we've wanted to emphasize that. We're building on that. It's a, it's a thriving program. Be encouraged. It's something you are doing. And then, you know, similarly... It's just amazing. In the last year or so, there are there are facilities, there are properties that the leadership of the church, for in some cases for fifty years, has been praying about, thinking about, wanting. You know, Lord, if you would ever open up that property, that would be exciting. We could use that for the gospel. In the last year or so, all these properties, one after the other, so ATM building, the the houses that go um, from this building all the way to the next street, and then the the furniture old furniture store on the on the on the uh, that's called Tom's. on on that uh, corner of the car park all these have opened up and I'm going to talk through some of our plans and thoughts about how we're going to use them for the gospel but it's exciting it's it's just brilliant and I love the way early in the service we just applauded those who were training and teaching our teenagers but I want to do that with our children's workers Look, let's, let's just say to those who teach the Bible to our children well done thank you that's brilliant we're so pleased thank you it's you you're doing it. And, you know, for those who serve, you know, in all these different ways, around the Bible, around the prayer, around all this, the God is doing something. And I, he's saying, you, yeah, I know, it's just, you think of the world and all that's happening in the world. But actually, Jesus, just this small group of disciples, he says, you, you are the sword of the earth. You are the light of the world. You want to have a big impact on the world. You want to change the world. Jesus is saying, the church church is not this holy club that is just about looking after itself. Church is an expression of the kingdom of God and the heart of God for the whole world and that's you. That's you. That's our ecclesiology. Church is a, is is the kingdom mission of God to the world. You're the light of the earth. The light of the world, the sword of the earth. That's you. So be encouraged. You. Then salt. Obviously, Jesus here talks about the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What does he mean by the salt of the earth? We tend to think of salt as something you just sprinkle on top of food to make it taste better. Obviously, they used it that way also in the ancient times. But salt had a much um, bigger uh, um, use in ancient times than it does in our world. In our world, if we want to preserve food, we put it in a refrigerator or a freezer or something like that. But they didn't have those techniques in the ancient world. So what they used was salt. Salt was used to preserve food. It was hard to get. It was expensive. It was rare. It was hard to harvest and it was used to preserve food. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And what he means by that, this is how I put it, you are the global moral preservatives. That's who you are. by being who you're meant to be and he says if salt loses its saltiness it's no longer any good what does he mean by that? well the chemical compound of salt, sodium chloride, cannot lose its saltiness. But ancient times, they often combined salt with other things. And if it was combined with too many other things, it got corrupted by dirt and all that kind of thing, then that no longer was it really salty. It no longer would do its stuff. Of course, that means we need to be who we're meant to be. We need to be pure, morally, spiritually, doctrinally. But but you are the salt of the earth. And you can have that massive impact, that global moral preservative impact on the society around you've got to be connected missionally to the world around to the earth around in order to have that impact not of the world but in the world as the salt of the earth and so we've been asking ourselves with all these properties that God seems to have provided for us what could it be could it be the Lord has provided these properties to help us get after doing that kind of thing. So, you know, we want to be gospel, local, and global. Could it be that God is providing us a way to do that increasingly right here? Could he be opening doors for us? It's, it's, we've been praying, you know, sometimes wanted some of these things for 50 years, and here they are right now. Could it be he's providing us with tools to do that? And so we're looking at the Tom's Price building, and we've asked ourselves, look, it's right next to the Crossroads. It's right next to the railway crossings. Maybe we think about it as the crossings, that it's a space that could be used to help us bring people in from the community, cross over to the community, the crossings. And the same time, other things have been happening like that. So we've got, um, you know, this, some of this goes back to my leadership principle. One of my leadership principles was learned from, I think it was Yale, or it may have been Princeton where they had a quad, a set of buildings with grass in the middle. And when you look at the grass in the middle, there are paths that go across from one door to another door, but they seem like they're not very, you wouldn't have put them there. They're all kind of, all the paths were over the place. And the reason for that is the builders of that quad decided, rather than putting down the paths just how they thought they should go, they wait a year or two and see the way that people walked. And they put the paths down like that it seems as if God is doing something here. And we want to put the past down where God is at work. And so in this uh, the west corner, the older corner, there's this school, Clapham School, that we've um, sort of been partners with for quite some time. By the way, of course, we are partners with many schools. And, you know, my children have been to Wheaton North. They've been homeschooled. They've been Wheaton Christian grammar. We've kind of done everything, you know. And I know we're we partners, with, of course, Wheaton College, Wheaton Academy, Wheaton Christian Grammar, many schools, homeschool networks, all the rest. But they're right here, and there's, there's something we can do with them in this regard. So there, the plan is they take over the west corner of that building and put in there, you know, for their expansion needs for, for the school and renovate that in a sort of first-rate, state-of-the-art kind of way. And, of course, then we'll be able to use the facility there for Christian education, which has been one of our prayer needs when they're not there. At the same time, the middle portion, that building is really divided into three, in the middle portion, uh, we're thinking of putting one of our resale stores, the Stars resale store, right there. They need more space, they need better space, but also it gives us traction from people in the community into the lifeblood of the church. And then in the, in the newest, most modern part of that building, it's got enough space there to to seat 350, uh, uh, 450, 500 um, uh, for a worship space, which gives us the other piece that we've been looking at, worship space, CE space, and parking some of the... The uh, the uh, the ATM um, bank building and others will put some parking there. So we've been praying for parking, Christian education, office space on the top floor of that new bit, which gives us some more Christian education space in the commons. And it seems as if God is at work here, fitting this to the crossings kind of space. And, of course, then there's this set of buildings on this side here. And our thinking on that is less advanced. But the thinking currently along, is along these lines. Have you have ever been in the basement here where our children's ministry takes place? Or well, you've gone up to the, the, the top here where there's all this sort of floor of different children's ministry. You know that our children's ministry workers do an amazing job with, with, with space that is kind of spread out. And there isn't just one entranceway which is the safest way to have space. And the classrooms aren't easy to find. Now, we've got in our initiative boosting ministries for the next That's how we express all this facility stuff. So we've got this crossing space on one wing that allows us to engage missionally and in connecting the culture with some worship space, additional, uh, another worship space over there. And then we've got this space over here which allowed us to build, I mean, just imagine it. There'd be like above ground for children. It would be, you know, uh, really well put together, state of the art for the families. We'll be boosting ministries to the next generation so that we're engaging, outwards and deep in these ways and the the amazing thing about it is Tom's Price, the previous owners of that um, space uh, building over there, have agreed to keep on renting it until June 2020 until they get ready for their next move and so that gives us time in terms of our, uh, the finances of it. But at the same time, also Clapham and Stars resell this, their ministry partnerships, there'll be some re- revenue that comes from that. And so we wouldn't be under immediate pressure. It would, it would help with our debt reservice and also with uh, the cost of the building. We wouldn't be under any immediate pressure to have a capital campaign. But it's coming in the next year or so. And I want you to be ready for that when it does actually come. I'm not launching it this morning at all, but it is coming. And I want you to understand, this isn't about facilities. This isn't about buildings. I have no interest in buildings whatsoever, none. I mean, I... I you know my church planting days I did a church plant where we bought and built I know it's hassle and it's stress and I've been through it. I have no interest in it whatsoever. What it's about is what's going on in the world and the culture outside and God providing us with tools to get after that to have a salt of the earth impact missionally and to get behind that. I find it's interesting how hard it is sometimes for people to envision physical things. You think it would be easier, but in some ways it isn't. And there's actually a paradox behind that it's called maravox's paradox maravox was a is a computer scientist and it used to be thought that computers would find it hardest that it would require most computational power for abstract reasoning like uh, like mathematics and uh, and playing chess and that sort of abstract reasoning but actually it requires f- much less computer power than they thought what requires massive computer power is doing what i'm doing right now which is walking the physical, or what a, what a toddler does, picking up a spoon and putting it in its mouth. Massive computer power. And similarly, I want you to think of these physical things as the spiritual impact they can have. The missional impact they can have. The global, moral, preservative impact they can have on both wings of the campus that God has given us to be stewards of. Well, then we come to the light. So you had you, salt, and Light. You are the light of the world. In the same way, Jesus is building upon this, this missional impact, but he has a slightly different image. It's partly for emphasis, I think, but also there's a slightly different uh, addition to it as well. So the way I put it is like this. The sword of the earth, global moral preservatives, but now the light of the world, you are the global spiritual illuminators. Global spiritual illuminators. And we have in our plan, therefore, a lot of outreach things. Missions big part of what we're emphasizing in our initiatives, it's one of our initiatives to massively increase that. There's a lot going on, and we know we need to get after it in a bigger way. We're only halfway through our three-year plan from 2018 to 2020. We know we need to get after it a bigger way, but there's a lot going on. We have 100 uh, missionary units um, long-term. We have another 15 mid-term. We support, I think it's 13 seminaries. And this is just huge. But not only the numbers... The the stories behind those numbers, so just as one example, I think now for the first time ever, we've been investing a lot in Ukraine over the years. And for the first time ever, the Ukrainians there, Christians, are not only looking after their own country and their own churches, but now they're becoming a multiplication mission movement, which is one of the things that we're seeing in, in the new mission world. A multiplication mission movement. So Ukrainians are being sent to the Middle East, to the countries that are hard for Europeans or Americans to get into. And it's just it's an amazing multiplication thing. And you have been a part of that. Obviously you know, there have been a lot of other people involved, but part of your dollars, your investment, your love, your time, has had that multiplication impact in Ukraine, the Middle East, and then there's 115 or so other mission units around the world. So it's massive. But we need to get after it even bigger because the world is, a, the missions world is changing. There's lots more indigenous missions. And we need to figure out how to get after it in a bigger way so it doesn't completely burn out our mission staff. Because all those units, of course, need pastoral care, looking after, are doing it excellently. But how do we do that in an even bigger and better way going forward? We know we need to do that. And it's an area in which we are going to focus on in the next year and a half or so as we come, you know, 2018 to 2020. We haven't yet finished the plan, but we're, we, we've got to get on with that. But not only has the global missions world changed, also the local mission world has changed as well. And the reality is, College Church, Wheaton, you know, it's the world is changing. You know, we in Wheaton are increasingly a part of Chicago land, increasingly a part of Chicago land. And what that means is there's more secularisation. I talk about this in my annual report, uh, that's in the annual report, um, and my part of that. There's more secularisation. There's more um, religious diversity, and we need to be the light of the world. We need to get after that. And so, in our uh, in our, in the budget, uh, if it's approved tonight, we have um, um, the uh, position for an outreach pastor. And that outreach pastor, it's not going to be like social programming, that outreach pastor needs to have a heart for evangelism, a gift for evangelism, because it's global spirit, spiritual, <clears throat> excuse me, wow, that was high, global spiritual, <clears throat> oh, wow, gosh, look at that, my goodness, I'll keep this near me just in case, global spiritual illuminators, it's not just something social change. If you want to have a big social change, then you've got to have a spiritual change. It's a heart issue. And so this individual, he needs to have a heart for the gospel, be a gifted evangelist, but also able to train us in evangelism and lead evangelistic programming throughout the year so we can build better structures around our already existing evangelistic outreaches like Christmas Eve and Easter, of course, and the other things that we do, and and. That's in the budget, and if it's approved tonight, we need to get after that. We need to get after that in a big way, College Church. The world is changing, and, and it's at one of our initiatives. And if we if we approve the budget tonight, that's in there, and we're going to be able to get after it. But it's going to take. It's going to take, you. You. There was a um, uh, a man called John J. Jones who felt a call to be a pastor, a preacher, and for various reasons he resisted that call and became a lawyer, and he became a very successful lawyer. His son, Sam Jones, also became a lawyer and a very successful lawyer too. But Sam Jones also became an alcoholic, and he wrecked his life. John J. Jones was on his deathbed. He was dying. He called his son to him. And on his deathbed, he looked at his son. He said this, My boy, promise me I'll meet you in heaven. Well, the funeral came and After the funeral, Sam Jones, his son, was obviously feeling a little discouraged and depressed and went to the bar and began to drink. And then as he was leaning on the bar and picking up another shot glass, there was a mirror behind the bar. As he picked it up, he saw his face in the mirror, disheveled, spittle, a little bit of vomit. He smashed the glass gave his life to Jesus. Sam Jones became one of the most prominent and effective evangelists in the 19th century. Some say he led 500,000 people to Jesus and that could be you and you. I need you. First time attender, I need you. Regular attender, I need you. You know, there's a new study done by Harvard University and What Makes Families Thrive in America, it came out in 2016. And one of the things that it discovered was families that regularly attend church, and by regularly, they define that as once or twice a week. Families that regularly attend church, according to the study, are 50%, 50% less likely to blow up. I need you to commit to your family, and to commit to your family by committing to the church, that's what's going to help you thrive. You know, we've done so, if, if everyone who calls Cottage Church their home church turned up every Sunday. You know how many people will be here every Sunday? We estimate it's about 2,800. About another 800 or so on top. Just by showing up. What <laughs> a huge impact that could have. And, uh, you know, Easter, Easter weekend, uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday together we had one, one of, not the, but one of the largest attendances we've ever had, over 5,000 I need you to commit to your family. I need, I need you to share about Jesus. There's a new survey out that shows that over 60% of Americans are open to hearing about Jesus. But only 30% of American Christians share about Jesus. Are you going to fill that gap? I need you. There was a champion athlete who was asked once what made elite athletes succeed at that very high level. He said this, you've got to have the skill, but more important than that, is the will. I need you. It's fascinating to me with all this, you know, uh, all my commitments to God's sovereignty and all Jesus' commitments to his sovereignty. He's the king giving this message. And he says elsewhere, you know, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will do it. But at this moment... He turns to these disciples and he says it's you. Who's going to make it happen? You. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God we do pray that you would help us to have this heart for your vision. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as the sword of the earth, as the light of the world. And Lord, therefore, that you would be God. You're our vision. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.